How many of you uh, have a diamond or have seen a diamond before? Several of you looked at your ring, right? And you thought, did he really spend that much? Others of you reached up and felt. Some of you, your hand rested on a pendant that had a diamond. Diamonds are such beautiful things. And the reality is they are due to immense pressure and extreme temperatures on them. That's how we get our diamonds. Pressure is a part of what God uses to shape us into the image of his son Jesus Christ or the diamond. He uses the pressures of life to do with... You deal with pressure every day. There is parental pressure. As a parent, the pressure of listening to your young child, trying to navigate this world in which we live in. There is pressure on students, pressure to grow up. One of the things I have to do as a school teacher is I have to renew my license. So I go back and take a class occasionally. And I always find myself in classrooms full of younger people. And I was teamed one time with this one young lady, and she was not only taking the class, but she was also doing some field experience. And she was sitting and lamenting how the kids just don't listen to her, they just don't respect her, and she turned and looked at me and she goes, you are so old and scary looking, you must not have that problem. (laughs) I said, no, I don't. (laughs) Pressure. There is pressure to grow up, to be something more than what you are now. There is pressure on students, pressure to play your sport, pressure, pressure to do well in school. There is peer pressure to fit into the group, to find a group, to be somebody, to be something. Pressure. There is preaching pressure. Pressure. You know the beatitude, right? Blessed are those who finish on time, for they shall be asked back again. And so what do you do? You put a big old clock right here in front of me, so I know. Pressure. Preaching pressure. I'm walking down the aisle, and Mike grabs me and says, here's our pastor. He's going to be taking notes. (laughs) Preaching pressure. Professional pressure. You experience pressure of life. It's real. And if we're honest with ourselves, we are truly aware of the fact that pressure is a good thing. Pressure is a good thing. Without pressure, our blood would not flow through our bodies and feed our organs properly. So pressure is a good thing. The problem is when we don't handle the pressure that's ours and it goes beyond what is necessary. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1... I'm sorry, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3-11, through 11, we have a passage that affirms the comfort, the compassion, and the mercy of God. Exactly what we need when the pressures of life build. Uh, we need to hear from God when the pressure gets great. And so if you will take your Bibles and open to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3-11, through 11, we will look at four releases from the pressures of life. Four releases from the pressures of life. Now please notice something. Uh, We are not going to talk this morning about running away. We are not going to talk about rushing from or running off from pressure. 
Uh, Remember Naomi in the book of Ruth. Naomi ran away and things didn't go as well as she had hoped. Think about the apostle Peter. He ran away and things didn't go so well for him. When the pressure is applied, we are not encouraging uh, running away or rushing off. Instead, we are remaining so that we can become the image of Jesus Christ or the diamond that God wants us to be. So 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3-11, through beginning at verse 3, we have the first release from the pressures of life. The first release is comfort from God. Comfort from God. Paul writes this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul is doing something that we are often told not to do. Uh, Think about sports. In sports, you are often told, like, don't telegraph your pass. Or if you're running a pattern, don't telegraph your pattern. You know, look the guy off and throw the ball the other way so that you aren't telegraphing it. Well, Paul right away telegraphs exactly what's for us and what's available to us. He says, blessings will come from God. And Paul says, I'm about to tell you about blessings. I'm about to tell you about blessings that will come from the Lord Jesus Christ. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessings will be yours. So he's telegraphing the reality that everything's going to be okay. And he says this beautiful title of Jesus. He calls him the Lord Jesus Christ. He says he is the Lord. He is deity. He is sovereign. He says that he is Jesus. His name, it speaks of sacrifice. It speaks of humanity. It speaks of the one who has come to save me from my sin. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed, the appointed one. Paul's telegraphing this reality that blessings are coming. And with this title, we pause and ask, do you know this Savior, Jesus Christ? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm hopeful you do, because if you know Him, then this is a resource for you that will allow you to handle the pressures of life. He goes on to say, he says, He is the Father of all mercies. He is the Father of all mercies. I I love what John MacArthur says about this passage right here, this Father of all mercies. MacArthur says this, he says, In my miserable, sinful condition, in my deprivation, my desperation, God treats me with kindness and treats me with love and treats me with tenderness. When God sees me, I'm in a pitiful state. And he chooses to extend mercy to me. Uh, This phrase, by the mercies of God or the Father of all mercies, remember in Romans chapter 12, he talks about that. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, upon the mercies of God. Remember David? Uh, David was having some issues and struggles. And he confessed to one of his compatriots. He says, let us fail. Let us fall into the hands of God of a merciful God. And I would rather do that than fall into the hands of men. I would rather have the mercy of God than than be subject to what man has for me. Be encouraged this morning. Be encouraged this morning that in your pitiful state, no matter what you think of where you are, God is there for you. 
He is not going to reject you. He is going to accept you. He is going to receive you because of his mercy. So the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Uh, Comfort is the word paraclesis, right? Called alongside. God is our comfort. He is going to come alongside of us. He is the God who comforts us. The Apostle Paul knows something about comforting, doesn't he? Uh, He needs it, and he's saying, I want it. And he knows about it because of what he himself experiences personally. Remember, he spent 18 months in Corinth uh, building this vibrant church. And then after he leaves, he finds out that there is rampant immorality in the church. The church never really deals with it. And troubles begin to add up. There is moral, moral failure. There is disunity. There are false teachers. And those false teachers go after the Apostle Paul and begin to accuse him personally. And so that's why we have 2 Corinthians. Paul is very personal in 2 Corinthians. And he is saying, uh, we have a God who comforts us. It is written in a way that you should probably write in the word perpetually. God is not a one-time deal. God perpetually comforts us. He is always there for us. It says God comforts us. Now, sometimes when we think about comfort, we think, well, uh, a soft bed or an overstuffed chair. Uh, Don't think of it that way. Think of it as courage, as boldness. As the pressures of life pile on us, God gives us the courage and the boldness to stay with it. I have two sons. My one son is in college, and he was home with us. And the neighbor says, hey, can you come over and help us move you know, those wooden swing sets with the little treetop thing and, you know, it's all wooden and swings and heavy and there's like five of us. And because my son, you know, he's kind of young and vibrant looking, they put him on one end by himself. And so he's lifting it and we're beginning to carry it across. And I saw him, because he's my son, you know how dads we are, we watch, and I saw that he was struggling. And so, of course, I walk over and I say... Great job, son. Hang in there. You got this. No, what did I do? I got up next to him, right? And lifted with him. And then, of course, when we set it down, he says, I had it. You didn't need to come there, right? (laughs) But sometimes we mistake the fact of what we need is not someone to just cheer for us, but someone to be there for us, to be with us. And that's what God does. He comes alongside of us. Psalm 121 is a psalm that helps us know this truth. In Psalm 121, five times it says, The Lord. Six times it says, He is the keeper. He keeps us. He keeps. All of this is what He does. In Psalm 121, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. He comforts us. It is God who comes alongside of us. It is God who knows exactly what I need. Think of the times throughout the scripture that we have seen God do this for people. I mean, think about uh, Elijah, for example. 
Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 17, uh, he is told, go to the brook Kirith and I will feed you there. And that's what he does. He goes and he's fed miraculously with water and the uh, food that he needs. And there's a drought on, but yet he has all he needs to drink. And then uh, God says, no, go to uh, uh, Zarephath and I'll minister with you and the lady of the cruise of oil. And the oil never runs out. The barley never runs out. And then her son gets sick and a miracle of healing happens. And then he goes in 1 Kings chapter 18 and 1 Kings 18. Uh, it's the big showdown with the altars where he says, hey, you build your altar, I'll build mine, and then we'll call down whichever God is really the true and living God, he'll consume the fire. And in an emotional, marvelous, wonderful display, Elijah calls out to God and the fire comes down and consumes not only his altar, but the water and all that around. You're familiar with that, right? And then in 1 Kings chapter 19, Jezebel shows up. And Jezebel says, listen, I know that these guys have been killed. And if I don't do the same to you, may the gods do that to me. And do you remember what Elijah did? He ran. He ran. The pressure of Jezebel, and he ran. And then you remember the story, of course, where uh, there is this strong wind toward the mountains, the earthquake, the fire. God's not in any of those. And then there's the still small voice. Do you know what God said to Elijah in that moment, in that still small voice? He said exactly what Elijah needed to hear. That's what he said. You see, that's the way God works. The Word of God, the Scripture, which you can hear, which you can read, is what gives us that assurance that He is with us and provides for us what we need to comfort us as we're going through the pressures of life. You see, what we need tomorrow may be what we are reading today. Please do not let anyone deny the sufficiency of God's Word. Instead, embrace it, because that is the place where the words of God come to us. Paul says, who comforts us in all our afflictions. All. Paul knew about afflictions, didn't he? In 2 Corinthians, again, that's a very personal book. In 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about uh, being beaten, being near death, being shipwrecked, being stuck in the rivers. And then he, he says this, he says, There is the daily pressure of me, of my anxiety for all of the churches. Pressure. Paul knew pressure. And so what does he do? He says, God comforts me. He knows what he's talking about, and he's letting us in on this reality that we handle the pressures of life with comfort from God. God who comforts us. Now, don't confuse God with a druggist. That's not what God is. He's not just dispensing comfort. He is showing up. Think about Hagar. Remember Hagar? Abraham and Sarah and Hagar... Sarah says to Abraham, take Hagar, Ishmael's born. And then Sarah says, Hagar, get out of here. And Hagar, in a desperate moment, the angel of the Lord appeared to her to bring her comfort. Think about Mary. Remember Mary? Mary, she and Jesus, and they show up at the garden. There is nobody, no one is there. And she says to the gardener, please tell me where you have taken him. And Jesus says, 
Mary? And Mary says, Rabbi. In her hour of need, Jesus showed up for her. He is not a druggist dispensing comfort. Instead, he is there for you. The first release for the pressures of life is comfort from God. Comfort from God. The second release from the pressures of life are others. Others. Notice what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4-7. through 7, Who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our suffering, you will also share in our comfort. The Apostle Paul says, suffering, pressures, and the reason why you do this is for others. For others. So that we comfort those who are in afflictions with comfort which we have received. Have you heard of a trust fund? A trust fund is resources or an allocated amount of money that you, or, or some other asset that you manage on the behalf of someone else, right? So if you have a trust fund, then you manage it on the behalf of someone else. That's what Paul's talking about. You go through and hang in there for the pressures of life for others. And so your comfort trust fund, as it grows, then you begin to share with others what you're going through. The pressures of life. Comfort doesn't end with you. It's to be passed on. Uh, Think about Peter. When Peter was talking to Jesus, and it was the end of this whole conversation, in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32, Jesus says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So Peter, what you are about to go through is for your brothers. See, we should be thankful for what Peter went through because we have two marvelous epistles in the New Testament written, First and Second Peter. We go through this for others. This is not a newsflash. But life is rarely about me. It's mostly about you. The reason why we do and go through life is not so much about ourselves, but it's about others. And that's what Paul's trying to remind us of. It is for your comfort. He used this twice, and then he finishes by saying, you share in our comfort. We don't think about others because we're too much thinking of ourselves, aren't we? And Paul's saying, okay, listen, God is going to comfort you, and when God comforts you, then that allows you to comfort others. And so you are being comforted so you can share this. This is not about hoarding. This is about sharing. 
This is about taking what God has given to you and giving it to someone else. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 6, it says, If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is your comfort, which are experienced when you patiently endure the same suffering that we suffer. Patiently endure. The same idea is in Hebrews chapter 12. It's two Greek words, hupomeno, which means to remain under. Uh, I, don't, I don't know, do you eat watermelon up here in the summertime? And sometimes the seeds get on the table. And I, I don't know what it's like with your clan or friends, but you, know, you begin to press on them, and what do the watermelon seeds do? They squirt, right? They fly all over the place. We are not to be watermelon seeds when the pressure of life comes. Instead, we are to be seeds that are planted into the ground, that experience the pressure of dirt, that experience the pressure of water, that then begins to grow and begins to bear fruit. Every year I plant tomato plants. And I do not eat all of the tomatoes. Why? Because there's too many, right? I would, I would get sick if I ate that many tomatoes. Even though they're homegrown and they're better, I would still get sick. So what do I do? I give those tomatoes to, uh, to others. That's what Paul's saying here. You are being buried into the ground by the pressures of life and comfort is going to come out of this. And when the comfort bears fruit, you don't hoard that fruit for yourself. You share that fruit to others. Does that make sense? You say, yeah, but I don't want to go through it. We'll get there. We'll get there. Comfort for others. Comfort from God, sharing with others. The third release from the pressures of life is purpose. Is purpose. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. The pressures of life, we cope with purpose. Purpose. He says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction which we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Uh, the, the English Standard Version is so much nicer, isn't it? Remember the old King James, the ignorant brothers? Those are all the people on social media. But that's something different. That's a whole other message, right? But he says, I don't want you to be unaware. I want you to understand. I don't want you to worry and to have to figure this out on your own. He says, I want you to understand the purpose of why we go through these things. He says, things were so bad that we despaired of life itself. Paul saw no exit. He, he saw no passage out of what they were experiencing in Asia. Can we pause here for just a second? Thomas Watson says this. He says, Satan loves to fish in the troubled waters of a discontented heart. And sometimes when you get in that spot where you don't see a way out, when you don't see a way through, that's when you begin to have some problems, some issues. Well, Paul's saying, listen, when that happens, please remember why you're going through this. Please remember the purpose, the afflictions, the pressures, the burdens are real. Paul says, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. He only uses that here. The sentence of death is this official 
we've received an official statement saying you're going to die. That's kind of the idea that he's saying here. But, but we didn't. He said there is a purpose that we're going through this. Can we pause to remember that purpose helps us eliminate myths about pressures and afflictions? You see, sometimes people say, well, afflictions, pressures, burdens, suffering, they're punishment. That's a myth. That's a myth. Remember, because of what Christ has done on the cross, he's taken all the punishment, right? You aren't being punished for your sins. Another myth is that uh, pressure, affliction, burdens are non-productive. Because we live in a pleasure-mad world. And the world thinks the only thing that is good is pleasure. No, you see, God uses these, and we're going to get to purpose, and you're going to see there is a purpose for me going through what I go through. Also, some people say, you know, well, if you're going through this, and you're having this rough patch, it's because you are a spiritual failure. That's a myth. Think about how many people went through struggles All you have to do is read Hebrews chapter 11 and find out that there are struggles. Even good, spiritually rich people go through. Purpose eliminates that. It's it's a myth. Then there are those that said pain, pressure, affliction. That's contradictory to a God who is good. Well, I think that you will agree that a God who is good uses his goodness and power to offer solutions to the pain and make me the diamond that I'm supposed to be. So purpose eliminates those kinds of myths. And so Paul says, so what is the purpose? Paul says this, he says the purpose to make us, to rely, to trust in God. Paul is writing in such a way that he is saying we were relying on ourselves. Paul's admitting that. We were relying on ourselves. And now we're relying on God who raises the dead. I live near Kings Island. Have any of you been to Kings Island? I'm I'm one of those season pass guys, so I've been to Kings Island a million times. Let me give you a little tip on going to Kings Island. Don't take small children. Right? I mean, they, they get tired. And what happens when they get tired? Daddy, carry me. Daddy, carry me. Daddy, take me. Lift his arms up. Put him on my shoulders and walk out. The one thing good about that is it reminds me that I'm his father and he's my son. And it reminds him that he's my son. You see, when we are relying upon God, we are reminded that there is a father that is able to carry us. Purpose is to rely, not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Rely on God. It goes back to the comfort The God of all comforts? Where is our comfort coming from? God. Why are we doing this? For others. But then there's a purpose to to rely on God. And please notice the credential. You you know how credentials work, right? I coached youth football once, and it was third graders. And all the dads, we got together before. It was the first time we were together. All the dads get together. And what do they begin talking about? Their credentials to be coaching third grade football. The only thing you need to coach third grade football is a ball. That's all you need. But they were, I went to Dubuque, Dubuque College. I went to Dayton. I played at Elder High School. I played. Those are credentials. They're sharing their credentials. Notice what Paul does here. 
He shares God's credential. Okay, why am I going to rely on God? Um, He's the one who raises the dead. Why would I rely on anyone else? Why would I rely on anything else? Now, your theology, I think, helps you to know that you have already experienced resurrection. Remember, we were dead in our trespasses and sin, and God resurrected us out of that. So this morning, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have experienced the God who raises the dead. And also, we're going to experience the God who raises the dead in the final resurrection. And so, if God gave us the greatest grace, His Son, He will give us the lesser grace for our suffering. So what that means is that since He is ours, He will continue to give us the comfort that we need to get us through. The purpose of what we're doing, the pressure, the purpose is to rely on God. And that's what happens here. If God gave us His Son, He will give us even more. Uh, Johnny Erickson Tata, you have maybe heard of her or read her book, Johnny. She is a quadriplegic. At age 18, she dove into the water, broke her neck, and was unable to walk. Uh, She is now 71 or 72 years old, and she has done a miraculous work for a community of people that need hope and encouragement. But Johnny Erickson says this, God permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. God permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. God hates whatever it was that happened to Paul in Asia. But God loves that Paul is now relying on him. Sometimes the pressure becomes so great that we need to be reminded that God hates what's happening to you. But God loves that you are relying on Him because the pressure is so great and you have nowhere else to turn. This morning we are handling the pressures of life because we know pressure is good. It's when it gets out of control we have to take medication because it becomes hypertension or whatever, right? So the the Apostle Paul says, we we get comfort from God, uh, we have others, we have purpose, and finally, he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, he says we need to exhale. We need to exhale. I used to spend my summers in a place called Whitley City, Kentucky. And the reason I would spend my summers there is because my grandmother was there and I would live with her and my mom would uh, stay back in uh, Ohio and work on her uh, master's and then later on it was her doctorate and things like that during the summer and I would spend the time with my grandmother. And one of the things that my grandmother did often was she had this big pot called a pressure cooker and she would can foods. Do you remember those? And, And she would fill it up, and then she would lock it in place, and then off it goes. Well, the thing that I remember is the little release valve that used to kind of spit and let the steam come out. Do you remember that? That's the exhale that Paul's talking about. Notice what happens. He wants us to breathe. He wants us to kind of let it out. 
Uh, he says in verses 10 and 11, he says, He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. He delivered us. He will deliver us. Can't you just see Paul going, We can do this. We got through it. He delivered us. He will again deliver us. Whatever it was that happened, however heart breaking and dreadful that it must have been, Paul says we were delivered and he will deliver us again. Going back to Johnny Erickson, she is 71 or 72 years old. She is still in a wheelchair. She's a quadriplegic. Did God deliver her? Johnny says, yes. She says that God delivered me from anger. God delivered me from depression. God delivered me from suicidal thoughts. And God has used me to reach millions. Did God deliver Johnny Erickson, who's still in a wheelchair? Yes. Because the way God works and his delivery... He delivers us in his way, not our way. So you may think this is what delivery ought to look like, but it may not look like that because it looks like what God wants it to look like. The Apostle Paul goes on, he says, On him we have set our hope. On him we have set our hope. Where is your hope this morning? Some of you have no hope, right? That's why you're here. You're looking for something. Some of you may have false hope. False hope that comes out of a bottle or a prescription or a relationship or something else. You have false hope. Paul says we have true hope, and that is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. D.L. Moody said this. He says, There is no such thing as a man being disappointed who puts his hope in God. Whenever I speak to the students, I always tell them, Listen, I'm old, so I get to quote hymns, right? And how can we not help but think, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood. On Jesus' blood and righteousness, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Are you there this morning? Are you there this morning, trusting in him? And you're able to exhale and say, God's got me. God's comforting me. I'm hoping in him. He will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope. Help us by prayer, Paul says. Help us by prayer. God can deliver us. Our hope is in him. Sounds like a prayer already, doesn't it? Paul's saying, join me in praying. Prayer, I think you would agree, is arguably the most objective measure of dependence upon God. Because 
when we immediately enter into prayer, what are we admitting? I can't do this. You need to do this. I can't handle it because I'm finite and I'm going to the infinite. And Paul is saying, that's what I would like for you to do. Please pray. Please pray. There is no limit to the power of intercessory prayer. I've had this quote in my Bible, and it goes like this. We must begin to believe that God, in the mystery of prayer, has entrusted us with a force that can move the heavenly world and can bring its force down to the earth. You are never speaking in cliché. You are never speaking in a trite manner when you look someone in the face and say to them, I am praying for you. I am praying for you. Paul says it all the time, doesn't he? Paul asks for them to strive with me in your prayers. Strive together. He uses that kind of thing where let's work at this prayer thing. The Apostle Paul also, he he says, through your prayers, things are going to get accomplished in the book of Philippians. And in Philemon, he says, through your prayers. See, the Apostle Paul was a big believer in prayers. Uh, When I was here uh, a couple of times ago and we talked about Daniel... Remember Daniel? He goes into the pressure of the lion's den, and what did he do? He prayed. He prayed. Prayer allows us to exhale, allows us to breathe. And Paul says, many will give thanks on behalf for the blessings granted because of your prayers. I love what W.G. Rutherford says about this passage. He says, he says that there may be a sea of upturned faces as a widespread thanksgiving goes up to God on our behalf for the gracious act which he has done for us. When you are the diamond that God wants you to be, he gets the praise. He gets the glory. You get the diamond. <laughs> And that's what's happening here. Paul says, pray with me. Pray with me. So that we can get this thing done together. And so that at the end of it, God is being thanked and praised. Because that has to happen. Because he is the God of all comfort. Because it is through the Lord Jesus Christ that we get what we have. Not because of me. But because of him. I'm hopeful this morning that that praying is a part of what you do. I watched a basketball game one time, and it was a a friend of mine that had graduated from college, and he had coached this team up. One of the things that I noticed as the players were playing is they did a lot of talking to themselves. I was thinking, why are they talking to themselves? So I kind of, at the end of the game, I was talking to them, great win, nice job, all this kind of stuff. And I said to him, I said, but why do your girls talk to themselves so much? (laughs) He says, they're not talking to themselves. He says, I taught them whisper prayers. So on the court, when they're feeling just a little bit like, oh, he says, I tell them, just whisper something to God. Just whisper something to him. Just breathe, right? Just let the prayer come out. That's what Paul's saying. We need to pray. We need to pray. I want you to pray. Paul tells us the pressures of life are inevitable. Please notice the comfort from God We have others to be considered. There is purpose, and we exhale. You see, pressure is unavoidable. It is an obvious part of life, and releasing the pressure makes all of the difference and allows us to cope. 
And that's what we want. We want to cope with the pressures of life. I told you about the pressure cooker. One time something went wrong. I don't know if the, the, the release valve got clogged or something happened. And my grandmother came in and tried to fix it. And as you can imagine, she got scalded because the pressure just lost it. She got scalded. But you and I both know that when the pressure cooker works properly and there is the release of the pressure, you get a beautiful jar of canned green beans or you get a delicious jar of jelly. That's the way it is. When we cope with the pressures of life, then we are the fruit that feeds so many people who are starving for what it is that God has. So this morning, allow me to encourage you to embrace these releases from the pressures of life. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your love and for your interest in us. Thank you so much for your kindness and your mercy and your grace. Thank you, Father, so much that you do not leave us to our own devices, but that you fill your book, the Word of God, with things that will help us in a pressure-packed world. Father, may we read your Word, feed on your Word, and see the examples of those who have found an ability to cope in the pressures of life. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name.